Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. We're having an interview today with Chimay of My Reflection Matters, and I think she's the best person to introduce herself and what all of the amazing work that she's doing. So um, Chimay, thank you so much for being here with us. Tell us more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thank you, Laura, for having me on your show. I'm really excited. So I am founder of My Reflection Matters, and that started about 2016, 2015, when I was really, well, actually the idea came much earlier than that. And that was probably around 2012 when my son was, right now he's eight, he's about a year and a half at that time. And I was struggling to find educational resources that really reflected and affirmed his identities. I, at that time, I remember I was shopping. I always tell the story. I was shopping at a, you know, little parent teacher store. They don't really have those anymore. Now everything is like virtual. But I remember shopping and going through each aisle. And as I went through each aisle, I'm looking at the packaging. I'm looking at who's on the books. I'm looking at who's on the games. And I didn't see him or any children of color, for that matter, reflected in any of of the learning tools in this space that's supposed to be a place for parents to find learning tools for their children or for their students. So I just remember feeling really upset when I couldn't find a black baby doll because I thought, well, you know, I should at least find a black baby doll in a parent-teacher store. And I couldn't. And so that was when the idea of My Reflection Matters started manifesting in my mind. It was back in 2012. And then, you know, I had young kids, had another child, life happens. And then fast forward to about 2016, I launched My Reflection Matters virtually, just kind of started through social media. I thought at the time I was an equity coach and consultant for NYU. And we were had the task of really going into school districts across the country that were experiencing disproportionate outcomes uh, for racial and ethnic children, particularly Black and Latinx students. And so we were doing that work, helping districts figure out like, what are the root causes to these racialized student outcomes? And how do we support school districts and changing their policies and their practices and their beliefs? And so there was a lot of professional development I was doing, having conversations, really difficult conversations with educators. And so my combined experience as a mother and as an educator struggling to find these resources just was really hitting me hard at that point. And so I decided to start doing a lot of the legwork and curating a lot of these. I said, like, stuff has to exist out there. You know, it wasn't readily accessible at that time. And it's more accessible even now than it was back in 2015 or 
And so I just started curating these resources and I started a website. I, you know, started um, sharing the resources through a newsletter, talking about them, offering my own, you know, I left NYU because I was like, I have to like spend time working on this stuff. And I started offering consulting services to nonprofits and educators who were saying, hey, we really need some support in figuring out how do we create spaces that affirm the identities of black and brown children. And then through that work, I was also, my family and I decided to to unschool and I'm doing, there's like these two things going on simultaneously in my life, but they weren't really necessarily merging, right? And so, you know, I started this cooperative with uh, homeschoolers of color in the state of Connecticut. Um, we started that in 2019 and then COVID hits 2020. I had this opportunity to really take MRM virtually in a way that I had, was thinking Back in 2015, hadn't fully fleshed what that meant. I grew, so those ideas grew. So by 2020, when I had this opportunity to think about how do I take a community virtually and support them in, in this virtual space, I said, well, I need to jump on this because this is the perfect time to do this. And so we couldn't meet physically as a co-op. So we thought, let's bring it to the sky, but let's open it up to everyone else because there were so many families and followers I have across the country that were saying, I'm following what you're doing in Connecticut and I really think it's awesome and I wish we could be a part of that. And so we've opened it to everyone. So then I started my Reflection Matters Village, which we just launched this month. And that really is a space for families that are seeking liberated education support. And so these are families that have decided that they're not satisfied or happy with the way our current educational system is set up, what it's designed to do. And these are families saying, well, we can actually we can do our own thing, right? We don't actually need a system to tell us how learning can be experienced for our children and for our families. And so this is about really supporting families who are using their power to support their children and leading their own learning um, and directing their own learning and we serving as guides and facilitators to support that learning. So in the village, we have a, we do have a free network. So there are families, anyone can enter the network for free. And in the network, it's sort of like a lobby to like a museum, right? When you go into a museum, you're not fully in, but you go to the lobby to kind of get some information, ask some questions before you jump into the space. Maybe there's some samplings that you could experience before jumping in, maybe a free tour. And so that's how the lobby sort of functions. And then in order for folks to really get into, we have several locked villages that each serve a purpose and a function. Folks have to pay a membership for that. So we have a full access to all of that. And I'll explain, you know, what all of that is. And then there's a partial membership and I'll explain what that is as well. Um, and there's a vetting process. So we just, you know, that is to make sure this, the space is safe. I'm sure you heard about the, the racist Zoom bombing that we had a few weeks ago. And so that was also like a wake up ball for us to really make sure that, you know, this is not a space where white supremacists or people who want to do harm are going to try to you know in, invade that space and do that to families so there's a vetting process for that there's an interview process for that we do background checks because families may opt to actually meet up with each other physically or virtually mm -hmm. and even though we cannot control families opt to do that you know i just wanted to make sure that families feel safe that if there's a zoom call or a class or a meeting with their kids with another family adult in our space that know we're at least vetting folks before they go in. So yeah, when folks come here, there's a lot you can get. Remember, these are families that are looking for, they are seeking a liberated path. They are looking for supports and resources to help decolonize learning at home. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is a space that really centers the identities of Black, Indigenous, and other folks of color. It doesn't mean we say no white folks, right? But we are really conscious about that ratio. 
um, you know, because most of the folks that we, are, we want to serve are families of color. Um, we are conscious about the white folks that we enter to that, into that space, that they understand their role as a co-conspirator in this space, that this isn't just about you checking yourself out of a box and saying, I came to a place where I could be with black and brown folks, right? But that you are in the space expecting that you're going to have conversations and support around, so what do I do? How do I activate my power and privilege in my community to impact systems that are oppressive to communities of color. So that is the expectation that we have of the white families that do ask to join our membership. But essentially, so what we have is a really awesome space in the village, one of our villages where families can actually come in and support each other. So it acts sort of like a co-op. There's a village that acts like a co-op where families actually barter and share their resources and skills with each other. And so in there, families would actually co-create customized learning experience for their kids, for themselves. This is a co-learning community. So what co-learning or the way I define co-learning is that, you know, we don't think learning is something that happens, you know, the learning of experience of our children doesn't happen in isolation from our experiences as their caregivers that actually learning happens simultaneously. This is actually something I can't even remember exactly when I found you, but I love following your page because I love get, getting to see, I mean, for lots of different reasons, but some yeah. of the learning that you share that's happening in your co-op. I love the that parents and different family members and different community members are all there, all learning together, that it's yeah. something that they, it's not just the work of childhood to be learning, that the parents are doing it too. Absolutely. Yeah, it just, I absolutely... I love, I love those things. So I love when you talk about the co-learning aspect of this. So yeah, that that's exactly, I mean, that's why it's called the co-learning community. And I'm clear about defining that space because I don't, this is not, we're not trying to replicate school. It's not a school. You know, we, we have plenty of that, plenty of options for there. We're not trying to replicate a system that is intentionally designed to produce the outcomes that it actually produces, the inequitable. So we are saying as a group and part of liberation is when folks who are experienced oppression from the direct policies and practices that exist in our community, we take control and defining what that system is, is for us, not outside politician, not outside educators, not outside fill in the blank, right? Experts, right? That don't actually experience what the people on the ground who experience it, when they take control, finding what that system is for, for them, and they decide who they want to bring in to the fold to support them. They might decide on some educators or some other folks in the, in the community. That is what liberation is. Right. That's very different than the equity work that I do in the system, which is really about harm reduction. Right. It's recognizing like at the end of the day, we can I can never make a system that's designed not to liberate to become a liberatory space. In order to do that, it has to look like what we're doing now, which is the parents and the kids are defining what that system is. They are constructing that system with the support of the people they decide they want to bring into that into the work. So we can't just edit the the oppressiveness out of a, a system that was built on oppression. Like exactly. you can't take it out. It has to be something from scratch, starting a new something from scratch. You're you're planting new seeds, you're growing a new orchard. Like it's completely new and different. So yeah, so that's what we're doing. And so in this co-learning space, families would be bringing their gifts, right? They would be sharing their gifts. They would be talking about you know because through our network, you have to be 18 or older in order to use it right now, the way it is right now, that could change in the next few years. So families are really, you know, they're communicating with their children. They're observing with their children, asking, like paying attention to what their passions and what their needs are and sharing that in the space and saying, hey, 
You know, I've got a kid who's really passionate about fishing. You know, he says he wants to find other kids around his age that he could also go fishing with, you know, and share skills and share tools that they use for fishing. I don't have those skills as a parent. I don't know how to fish. I might put a request in that family group and say, hey, are there any other families that, you know, would want to do maybe a five-week course on like fishing safety or something or something or fishing one-on-one? Like, could we set up a virtual meetup with kids who love to fish and they can socialize and talk about the things that they love? Maybe there can be some direct instruction on things specific that they're requesting. And so maybe I might get parent who says, oh, I'd be, I'd be happy to do that. And maybe there's like six other parents say, I've got kids who are interested and we organize a class around this. Now we're organizing some kind of a virtual setting for or learning experience for our kids based on, on what we're observing are their needs and what they're saying are their needs. And then I might then put in an offering as well in exchange, right? So I might say, hey, you know, I'd be happy to support any kids who are interested in writing, right? Creative writing or something like that. Or I might decide to just put in an offering, like, and just see who's interested in it. You know, I have, I have a book. I'd love to do like a story time, whatever it might be. But we're not necessarily selling our work. We're bartering and sharing that work, right? Just like a co-op does. This is exactly how we do it. We come together. We speak to our kids. We talk, you know, they share what they're looking for. Our kids oftentimes are also the facilitators and teachers. So it's not always adults that are leading a learning session, right? It can, it can also be children. We've had four-year-olds. We've had eight-year-olds facilitate classes in our co-op. So it's just a very different way of thinking about education in a much more affordable way. Okay. I know I have listeners who are unschoolers committed. They've already made that shift, but I also have listeners who this pandemic situation has woken them up to the limitations and the inequities in our public school systems and are, but they're still new and they're still coming to understand um, what it means to have child-led learning. So many of my followers know that child-led learning is best for the young kids. What about when it comes to older kids? You know, they're still making that leap. And so I kind of wanted to just just ask you a little bit about like, what does that look like? How do they, because most of the concern is how are they going to get the skills that they need? And I have thoughts on that, but I, I'm yeah. certainly not an expert on, on that piece of it. Yeah. I just would love to know about like, like, what does that look like in practice? Like, how do you come to trust your child? It is all about coming to trust children. And it's a hard thing when we have been conditioned or socialized to not trust children. That we've been conditioned that the adults are the authoritative figure that tell children how to act, what to do, what to wear, when to do it, when, how to do it. And so that is, a, it's a huge mind shift. This doesn't happen over day, you know, over a day, several days, or even months. It could take years. I still have moments where I find myself going back to old habits of thinking. And I have to remind myself, and, and honestly, I mean, this community, while I know I'm taking the lead in sort of cult, built, starting it and building it, I'm at just as much as a villager as anyone else. So I am, you know, experiencing along with folks, all the, the, the new stuff and, you know, asking questions. And I would be, and also seeking the space as a support for me when I have those moments of when I'm going back to old habits of thinking to say, hey, am I going crazy here? What are some of the habits that you've had yeah. to shed? Like some of the thoughts, the narratives that you've had to release in order to do this work? Yes. There's the one that you just spoke about, the idea that kids can't direct their own learning, right? That's something that I have ha- I've had to shed. Another one is that learning happens in 
a sequence, right? Or that learning happens, you know, there are certain benchmarks that kids have to meet by a certain time because if they don't, it must mean that there's something wrong. Absolutely not. Totally false. Those are probably like the two biggest ones, even though as, as a former classroom teacher and as a special ed teacher, so as a special ed teacher, there were some of those ideas that I kind of let, I had to because I had kids with so many different learning needs to kind of just put out the window. But there was still the idea of like, they still had to meet something, even if it was later. The idea that I even thought it was later is problematic, right? So in this space, this is a place where we support each other, no matter where if people are at the beginning of that or they're much later in, in their stage of life in that journey. And so in the space, like I said, is co-learning. So that means there are learning experiences for our children, but there's also learning experiences for families. So that's where I've merged my work. So I mentioned earlier that I was kind of like doing these two things of work, phases of work separately, but they're really so much in parallel to each other. And the village is a place for me to merge that, to, to take a lot of the anti-racist parenting and education work that I've, I've been doing in nonprofits, educational sectors, and to bring it to the space and, and that's my offering in this space. That's my offering to help facilitate those conversations around what does it mean to decolonize our way of how we think about learning and, and teaching, learning and education and parenting. What does it mean? What does it look like to even parent, to work from home while you're home educating, right? Like, cause that's a whole other conversation, right? How does that happen? What does it mean to be an unschooler or to follow my child's lead. Like here are some things that you can do to begin to shed that. So my advice for people who are doing this is to really consider de-schooling, you know, spend some time de-schooling. And that's the process of really not doing anything. Like don't do anything for the first few months, you know, and there is like sort of like this de-schooling sort of number. I think like for every, depending on how old your, your child is, it's like one month or, or I think depending on how many years your child's been in school, it's like one month per year or something. I can't remember, but there's like some formula. I mean, there, you don't need a formula. You kind of just follow your, the, your instinct and your child's instinct. But yeah, take some time away. Take a few months to de-school because kids who've been in school, and then if you're transitioning as a family into this self-directed learning path, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge for the both of you because your children have been conditioned to wait for someone to tell them what to do. They've been conditioned to wait for someone to tell them how to do it, when to do it, when to get up, when to sit down, when to transition, when not to transition. And so you, you can't just expect that if you say to the kid, hey, like, what do you want to do today? Or, you, you know, you tell us what you want for them to be like, oh, let me just tell you, I have a list of, because they've been so many years, you know, that has been beaten out of them. Because I believe it's a natural instinct for us to follow our intuition in terms of learning and education. You know, like we didn't just learn how to eat and nurse from our mothers and seek shelter on, you know, because we went to a class and someone taught us how to do that. Instinct led us to figure out how to do those things. So I would recommend that people actually not get out curriculum, not stress about what kind of homeschooling style are we gonna do? What are the books that we're gonna use? Spend that time enjoying your children paying attention like how have you even actually learned to observe your children right because oftentimes you don't we're so busy we're not really paying attention to them what makes them tick what makes them like get lost in the things that they do what are the things that they love to do that they completely can get lost for hours and hours those are the things you want to leverage those are the things that are going to support your children in learning the cultural skills they need to do right so like reading writing and math are cultural skills that we need in our culture 
to survive. Like we can't pretty much do anything in our society, current society if we don't know how to write, if we don't know how to read, if we don't know how to use a computer, right? So I think that spending that time observing our kids and seeing what their passions are is, is a beginning start <laughs> to this journey. <laughs> Absolutely. I got teary-eyed hearing you discuss like, or describe kind of what that could look like. I think all kids deserve those things. Absolutely. And it made me, like, I just realized for a second that it's not just us who has to learn to trust our kids. If they've been in school for a while, they have to learn to trust themselves again. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a real thing. So, and the thing, but the thing is, Laura, they can. Yeah, absolutely. Like they can, and kids are much more resilient than we are. So they will adjust to this lifestyle much faster than the adults. We have 30, 20, whatever years of unschooling and unlearning that we have to do, where our kids, if they've been in for a few years, well, that's just a few years versus several decades. You're blowing my mind too. Cause so I, every day I get parents coming to me, asking me to tell them what to do, asking me to tell them what's the right way, what's the answer, what, you know, what, what should they be doing, looking for that source of knowledge outside of themselves. And it's all, this is all connected. Most of the parents I work with want to learn how to be intuitive, confident parents. And they can't be because from the moment they got into mainstream schooling, it's, they've been taught actively, like the parenting that we receive and in the schooling that we receive, that we can't trust ourselves. We are absolutely taught that. So one of the things that I love about our space is that healing is a central component to the village, right? Like we can't talk about liberation if we're not talking about our own healing as caregivers. And so one of the other aspects to our space that I didn't talk about, I said that there's this private village for families to kind of co-create learning experiences for themselves and their children. There is a co-learning partners village. And so what I've done, you know, I've been, I've been in education for a long time and I have all these amazing networks of folks. And I thought, well, how do I bring this in as a resource, right? Like resources aren't always just tangible things. Resources can also be human people, right? <laughs> living, living beings. And so we have some pretty amazing folks in our space who are in social justice education, folks that are like exhausted of the current system are saying, I want to do something completely different. They're not all educators because I don't think an educator is someone necessarily that has a certification, but someone who has a passion, who's really good at sharing and teaching that passion and wants to do that in the space. Like I said, we have from children to, you know, 80 something year olds. We've had grandmas, abuelas that have come and taught our children in our space. And so having this, these partnerships is really essential because as parents, we don't always know all of the things, nor do we always share the same passions as our kids. Like, my, like I mentioned, my kid loves fishing, but it's not necessarily a personal passion that I, that I have, right? Nor is it a skill set that I can even teach. So it's important that we have also outside of our family network, partners that we can bring in, partners that, we, that I know that we have vetted through the space that really get what decolonized education is that can offer support to our families and co-create customized learning experiences for their children, for the families. They provide a la carte offerings. We have some a la carte offerings that they put out to see if folks would be interested, whether it's for kids, whether for adults. And like I mentioned, we have healers. So I've been very intentional in bringing folks who can provide healing opportunities for us to unpack all of our isms, because that shows up in our parenting. For, for us to unpack our own oppression and trauma growing up as children, right, and into adulthood, mm -hmm. that stuff also impacts how we parent. For us 
to decolonize our way of thinking about parenting and education. That that's some of what Can was we that? talk a little bit more about that because that's a phrase that I know about, but I'm guessing that there will be many listeners who've never heard the idea of decolonizing parenting or decolonizing um, education. Would you share a little bit about sure. kind of what that means? Yep. So when I think about decolonization, I'm thinking about education where that is not centered around the white collar's viewpoint right, and action. So most of education, especially when we think about the history of this country, has been taught from a white, cishet, male perspective. Male with money, right? Male who identifies as Christian. Male that, you know, we can kind of go down the list of all of the, all of the identities. And so we, we never hear the stories uh, from the perspective of those who actually been oppressed, who were colonized in this country, who were enslaved in this country. And so for me, when we're decolonizing, we are shifting from whose perspective is the story being told, right? We are shifting our practices that don't center a white-centric norm and perspective and action. So even parenting, right? I mean, pretty much every system that we can think of from healthcare to education to employment to all of that, when we think about what are all of the norms and policies around each of those systems, they all center white, middle, upper, middle class norms, actions, and behaviors. Now, I'm not saying that some of those behaviors are necessarily bad because we all have our own practices within our own culture. The issue is that we've made that the standard. We've made that the default. We've made that and held it at such a high pedestal that everything else, all of the cultural behaviors and actions and norms are measured against that one standard. If they don't meet that, we are made, for those of us that don't meet that in cultural norm and standard, we are made to feel as though we are less than, we are made, we are othered, we are oppressed as a result of that. And so you, that's why we have all of these disproportionate outcomes in all of the systems, because whiteness is the standard to everything. It is the default to everything. Decolonization is breaking that apart. It's saying, no, like we can have many several standards, right? That why is there just one way to, of being and one way of living life. And so when you talk about this, like even as parents, how we have been socialized to not pay attention to our intuition, right? That's not the way many of our ancestors were raised or lived in their, during their time, right? A lot of our families have a hunger and have, you know, I've done polls with our families before I was setting up the village. And so to help me think about sort of the framework of the space, and one of the things that families kept saying that they wanted more in this kind of a space was the opportunity to collect, to connect to intuition, the opportunity to connect with the land in the way that their ancestors connected with land, um, the opportunity to even think about spirituality in a way that their ancestors connected with the spirit of the land. Because those things were robbed from us, those things were stolen for us, from us, they were manipulated, we were lied to as a result of colonization and slavery and other forms of oppression in our country. And that's happened to women, it's happened to folks of color, it's happened to, we can think about all the different groups that have been oppressed in our country that that has happened to. And so this is the place where we say, let's unpack all of that. Let's throw the old way out the window and let's really revolutionize 
how we think about our parenting and our education. So I hope that it, that explains no, the conversation. <laughs> I love that. And thank you so much for the labor involved in explaining that too. I really appreciate it. And it was so eloquently put. And I, I think it's important to remember too that this is not just a conversation, you know, so I, I'm white and this is something that we are bound up in it together. The, yes. you know, the a white centric approach to parenting or um, education harms all of us together. All of us, absolutely, yes. We're bound up in it together. And it's, I think the work that you're doing is so important and so valuable. And I think it's important, like even if you aren't at the place where you are choosing to opt out of like mainstream education or formal education, you know, you're not homeschooling. The resources that you provide are still beneficial. Like I, when my kid comes home with a Thanksgiving worksheet from school, I know what to do. I know how to approach her teacher and I know how to approach her her school about those things, you know? Yeah. And because I've followed you and learned from you. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Well, I mean, but it's true though. Like it's, if we don't start questioning it, all of us, you know, and, and you can't fix a a system that was designed to be oppressive but at least you can teach your children to be critical of it and yeah. use a critical lens. You know, I don't Absolutely. I mean, critical consciousness is really critical in our space, right? Like that, I mean, that is what decolonization work. It is developing a critical conscious lens about yourself, your identities, and the identities and experiences of others outside of your own. And so those are the kinds of learning experiences that we are trying to cultivate in this space. And so, like I said, I don't know all of the things, which is why there are partners in the space, because for the areas that I don't know, I can tap into partners to support us in the village to fill in some of those gaps. So one of the things that you mentioned, the resources, so there is a private village that we call the culturally responsive resource village. And so that one, that's the one where I do offer a partial membership. So folks who pay into a full membership get access to all of the other villages and including the culturally responsive resource but there are parents there are radical educators that are saying gee like being fully immersed in that space it doesn't maybe feel right for me it's not a right fit for my family but i'm really interested in really accessing culturally responsive resources tips advice you know building community with folks who are sort of on this journey whether it's in my classroom or at home and so they can actually opt to just buy access to that village, to that, to that space. And so what's different, so I know you've been following me for a while, so I have a website where there's a library of resources that we've curated and so many that are still not up there, but I have a curator that's supporting me now. And so the thing that my website doesn't do is it doesn't, it's not a platform where we can actually build a community around that. Like I can't have conversations. Folks can't ask me very specifically, like I'm looking for this. Do you have any ideas? Or I just want some advice. And so through this, through this membership, it's a monthly membership and it's really affordable. It's under 10 bucks a month, like $7.99, I think. Mm-hmm. And folks every week will get, I'll be sharing culturally responsive um, educational resources, tools um, every week, some advice. So like something I usually do on Instagram is like, you know, here's a decolonizing tip for the day. You know, here's how I'm decolonizing learning in my home. Um, how are you doing it at home or in your classroom? So I'll be offering some of those tips and advice there. 
And what's awesome is that our, our members get to also share resources. So many of our members are making their own things. So this is a platform where they can share what they're creating. They can share their websites. They can share their things if they're selling it. They could ask each other and not just me, but they can ask each other like, Hey, I'm looking for this, or I need some advice. What do you do? So I just love that it's not just me being able to offer the support, but now there's a community that folks, which is five times better, right? Like we all know, like multiple brains are better than one. So that's also an option for families. They feel like fully immersing themselves in a self-directed learning space with other families is not for them. And they just want to sort of get access to resources. They have the option to do that as well. Thank you for creating that resource for us, for, for everyone. And I, I just, I love the way that you talk about that we don't have to be in this alone. That I, I think over the course of human history, we are the way, especially here in the West, the way that we expect families to live um, yeah. and to raise our children is inhuman like it's not it's yes. not how we are supposed to be doing things we are not supposed to be in isolated we are designed our babies are biologically designed with a robust attachment system that research yeah. shows does best when they have three to four attachment figures we are supposed Absolutely. to be sharing care of our kids yeah and that and takes I, a village right like it does, <laughs> it really does. does. you know people say that and give lip service to it but you're doing it you're actually giving people access to the tools to form a village and i just i think it's wonderful and so needed yeah, a lot of people think that it's funny when people hear that we unschool or that we home educate, they often think, oh my God, you as a mom must be overwhelmed and that's so much on you. And I'm thinking, well, if you're sharing that, right, you're sharing that work yeah. with other parents, like it isn't as overwhelming as people, we think it's overwhelming because we have been so conditioned in this society, right? That everything is about individualism. Everything is about you do it on your own. And yes, you made it and you did it. And that is such a false narrative. Like it's so not true. It's everything that you said. We are communal beings. Human beings by nature, by instinct are meant to be a collective. We are not meant to be doing things in isolation. That is not part of our natural you know, biology. That's why we're so depressed. It yes. is. Because yes. we don't have the community, the, like the communal aspect that is our human nature and birthright. Absolutely. And another thing in our space that I didn't mention, which speaking again to the, the, the community piece, is that we have a co-living for liberation village. And in that space, it's really a mutual aid village space. Because as I was thinking about the space, um, I thought, well, I know education is impacted by so many other areas and facets in our life, right? So like, and even in our physical co-op, so if someone didn't have a car, right, or their car broke down, they couldn't make it to co-op, right? So how do we think about what are some ways that we can support each other in our space to make sure that we are experiencing fully what we need to experience for our families in terms of education, whether it's virtually, whether it's in a physical space with other folks. And so in the mutual aid space, this is a place where families can really, they can share their other skills and services that they can offer. They can ask for support in other areas if they you know, are unemployed and are seeking employment, if they, someone's house burnt down, right? And, and we need to come together to fundraise for that family, right? To help them find a safe place to live until they're, you know, they can find a, another place or their house is rebuilt or whatever it may be. So yeah, I love that there's this mutual aid component for us to actually begin to do some of that bartering and sharing with each other. And what's great is that we have families from everywhere. 
right? Like I mentioned, this is open to, I mean, we literally right now we have 83 folks in there and we have families from all across the U.S., from the East Coast, West Coast, down South, North, like everywhere that you can imagine. And I just love the opportunity of this growing and possibly us coming together when COVID passes, <laughs> where we can actually have like field trips. We can meet up, like we can meet up in places. We can have, you know, a meet up with all our families. So I'm excited about that. And you don't have to be a home educator. So that's another beautiful thing. So families who opt into the full membership are not all home educators. Some of them are new because as a result of COVID, they decided I want us to do this thing. We want to completely move away from, from schooling. Others have been home educating for a while. And then we have others that are like, hey, I send my kids to school, but like there's a lot of, you know, I know I supplement a lot at home. And so I want to still be in community with families that I could seek support and advice from um, and supplementing that 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 work at home. And so unschooling is not necessarily kids who unschool can go to school the philosophy of unschooling is that if they choose if going to school is what they do it's because they've chosen to do that not because mm -hmm. someone has forced that option onto them very different way of thinking about education so i think lots of times people hear that word they think oh my god you're like anti-school and kids don't you know well you know yeah we don't go to school in our house but it doesn't necessarily mean that my kids change their mind that i'm gonna be upset about it. If that's their choice, that's their choice. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. And are you guys open to this being a global community or is it just for us yeah, now? We are. So, I mean, totally open it to, to being a global community. I have to, it's funny because this has been brought up again and I, and I, you're reminding me that I need to go back to like the payment tools that I use because not all payment, payment tools allow you to take money outside of the US or there, mm. there's ways that I have to change it so so the currency is whatever. So yeah, I absolutely, I, I'm totally open. I mean, I learn so much from people from other places and it's great to hear the experiences that families are having from the opposite side of the country that you know you realize wow like we're not the only ones thinking this way and i think too like the the decolonizing aspect the the whole world was colonized at some, you know, world, yeah. you know and so it's definitely something that applies to i i have a lot of listeners in australia and new zealand like these conversations are important there too. Well, great. Thank you so much for being with us today and sharing uh, the amazing work that you're doing. I hope that you just get all the support and blow up and you get everybody who needs these resources gets access to them through you. <laughs> so, so nice to get to um, have you on here. I really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for, you know, having to wanting to have this conversation with me. Yeah. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.